So as I said, we're going to be in Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 this morning. And the key truth we're going to see from this text this morning is this, that God graciously and sovereignly before the day of the Lord comes upon us. And so let's see that in God's word this morning. This is Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So hear now God's word to us, his people. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now as we begin with this passage this morning, a question for us to consider is this. What kinds of things do you try to hide about yourself? What kinds of things do you try to hide about yourself? Hide from yourself, hide from others, hide from the Lord even? But as you think about that question, if you asked any child in this room or anyone who's ever been a child, which is all of us, if you're the one hiding, you're not the one seeking, right? Hide and go seek. We all know the basic rules. If you're the one hiding, you're not the one seeking. And that matters for us as we think about any time where God's word, as it does this morning, calls us to seek him. We should pause and say, well, where, where am I actually trying to hide? Because that's a good clue as to the areas in your life where you're, you're not actively seeking the Lord. It may be that you're trying to hide um, your, your sins and you, you feel ashamed or embarrassed or, or even worse, you delight in that sin. You don't want it to get exposed and so you try to hide that. It could be you, you hide something about yourself that, that you feel ashamed of and rather than bringing that into the light and bringing it before the Lord, you try to, to build something up in your own strength to cover over it. But either way, we all know that there is no rest, there is no refuge if we try to hide in something of our own making. The only rest, the only refuge to be found is by seeking the Lord, by being hidden in Christ alone. And that is what Zephaniah is going to help us see this morning as we dig into this passage. And so he begins in verse one straight away by calling to the nation of Judah and he says, gather together, yes, gather. And this is a call for the entire nation. Remember in chapter one, he has been warning them of God's coming judgment upon them because of their sin. And that warning was basically like a tornado siren. It pierced the air around all of them. It put everyone on high alert. The day of the Lord is coming. And now, as if he were a president giving a wartime address, he's giving them very clear and direct communications. Here is what you need to do with urgency and clarity if you are going to find refuge in the coming day of the Lord. And so in calling for Judah to gather together, Zephaniah is actually also being very specific and, and, and meaningful with the words he uses here. The word he uses for gather is a word that in the Old Testament is typically used not for gathering like we have this morning, but it's actually gathering stubble to bake bricks while they were in Egypt. And so Zephaniah is creating a word picture here. He's saying to the people of Judah, gather yourselves together like you would a bundle of sticks to be burned for your fires. And that is very significant because look back at the last verse of chapter one, verse 18. Look at how he talked about the coming day of the Lord. He said that the Lord would come in the fire of his jealousy. So he uses this imagery of fire to talk about the coming of God's judgment on their sin. And now he says, gather yourselves together as sticks, as stubble. 
And so what Zephaniah is making clear to Judah is he's saying, you need to gather yourselves together and you need to recognize in humility that the Lord's judgment is coming and it's coming for you because of your sin. You in your sin, Judah, have made yourself like stubble. You are dry as a bone. And you, the vapors of your sin, fill the air like spilled gasoline. And so what Zephaniah is trying to get the people to see is that they are primed and ready to be burst into flames under the Lord's holy judgment when he comes upon them for their sin. He's trying to pierce through their defensiveness and their arrogance with this imagery and help them see, listen, you need to take this seriously. And he uses such strong and startling language because look at how he refers to them. He refers to Judah in verse one of chapter two as a shameless nation. What he's saying is that they, they don't feel bad in any respect about any of their sin. He's saying they feel no remorse for the fact that they've been sacrificing their children to Moloch. They're not blushing about the way they've treated the poor in the land and have disregarded God's instructions about the Sabbath and mercy and all of the weightier matters of the law. They've, they've, they don't care. They have no regrets, we might say. Or they, would, they might, if they were contemporary people, they'd say, you know, YOLO. You only live once, I have no regrets, it's fine. I've lived my life how I want, and that is how it's going to be. And yet Zephaniah is saying, no, that's not how it's going to be, because you're not sovereign. You are not in control. You need to recognize what you have done and what you are doing to yourself, Judah, through your sin. And so he's urging them so strongly because time is short, because they're not sovereign. They are not in control. This is his point in verse 2. Four times he says they must gather themselves before God comes upon them. And that repetition, before, 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 is meant to drive home to them. Again, they are not sovereign. And the time they have left before the Lord would come upon them and take them into exile in judgment for their sins was not much time at all. And that reminds us, you know, as well as it reminded them, we are not in control. You know, we may think we, we, we may give ourselves the illusion of control with our watches and our ability to precisely measure time down to the nanosecond, but that makes us no more in control of time than it did for the people of Judah. God alone is sovereign and we are not, and we must seek him while he may be found, and that's on his timetable, not ours. And so the opportunity that if someone fresh wheat and seen chaff blow away, another thing you could imagine is, you know, imagine a dandelion when it's died and it has those seeds. All it takes is a whisper in the breeze, and those seeds are gone. They're out of your grasp forever. You can't catch them and bring them back. That's what Zephaniah is saying. He's saying to the people of Judah, you may think you have a lot of time, but it is going to blow away, and it's going to be gone before you know it. So wake up. And we know, looking back historically, that probably between the time Zephaniah would have, would have preached this word of the Lord to the people of Judah and the time that Babylon would come under God's sovereignty to cart Judah off into exile in 586, there was probably about 20 years between when Zephaniah preached this and then they would go into exile. And if you think about it, 20 years isn't that long, but it is just enough time for you to think you have all the time in the world. You know, it's long enough to go by and, and you look back and like, wow, where'd those 20 years go? But in the moment, you can think, well, there's always tomorrow. I don't need to deal with that today. I can put it off. And that's why Zephaniah says, before this day comes upon you, seek the Lord. Do not lull yourself into sleep with your arrogance and thinking you are master of time. You are not. And so he's calling them to turn back to the Lord because the day of the Lord's anger would not turn back. God had decreed it, he says. It was coming. The only question was, would they heed God's call to turn back from their sin 
and seek him. And for you and me, as we read this this morning and we listen to it, it's very easy for us to look back in time. Um, whenever we read something like this, often especially in the Old Testament, you read these warnings and you think to yourself, why didn't the people of Israel listen? Like, it seems pretty clear. Zephaniah says, you're not in control. There's not much time. You should turn and seek the Lord. So, you know, it seems very simple. Why don't they do it? Why didn't they turn back? They're so silly. They're goofballs. But they didn't turn back for the exact same reasons that you and I don't turn back from our sin. The exact same reasons that we are very slow and sometimes drag our feet in repentance and in running to God's throne of grace. You know, for, for the people of Judah, they had built their lives all around their superstitions and worship. They'd staked their hopes on all their opinions about everything around them, about the politics of their day, about the economy of their day, about their business practices. They had built on those foundations. And their ways seemed right, and they seemed obvious in their eyes. And their livelihood, despite what Zephaniah was saying to them, they thought things were good. And, and they didn't think that could be changed. And so they found it hard to believe Zephaniah's warning that in reality, all they had done was amass for them this, this heap of hay wood and stubble that was fit to be burned in God's righteous anger and judgment. And that should be sobering to us. You know, the urgency of, of Zephaniah's call, especially in verse two, that should, that should ring in our ears and, and, and we should recognize how that applies to us today because if we don't recognize the urgency of the peril of sin in our lives, then we won't. And so the example of Judah should remind us of, of the cost of our, our sinfulness in our lives. And it actually points us to a very interesting passage in the New Testament. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, Paul talks to the Corinthians about the way they live today and how the coming day of the Lord, that last day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall return to judge all of humanity and to make all things new, Paul draws a connection between that day and today and the way you and I live as those who bear Christ's name. And it's interesting, I'm going to read that passage for us, and as I do, listen to the imagery Paul uses, because he actually picks up upon the same images that Zephaniah is using in warning Judah, and Paul applies that to us as disciples of Jesus. So hear this, this is 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Paul says, let each one take care how he or she builds on the foundation, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now... If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he or she will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he or she will suffer loss, though they themselves will be saved, but only as through fire. So notice how just like Zephaniah, Paul associates the coming day of the Lord with fire, with the fire of God's righteous judgment. The difference here that Paul is talking about is that unlike if you're unbelieving, if you are outside of Christ and the Lord's holy judgment comes upon you, you will be consumed because of your sin. But Paul says if you're in Christ, the fire will purify you and it will purify the things you've done in your union with Christ. And yet what Paul is saying then is that he's challenging us as believers to recognize that there's more to being a Christian than simply surviving God's judgment in Christ. Our salvation in Christ is more than a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is actually inviting us into union with Christ and life in Christ today. And so Paul is saying the way we live today matters. 
And not everything we do as Christians or in the name of Jesus is necessarily equal. Paul's saying some things are wood, hay, and stubble. They're distractions. They're things of the world, but we just kind of slap the name of Jesus on them. And we think that means we're doing something good. But Paul's saying in reality, in the eternal perspective of God's kingdom, those things will be burned up. They'll be purified from you on that day. And yet he says there are other things. That's gold and silver and precious stones. These are the things that we have in our union with Christ, all the heavenly blessings that we have access to because of God's grace, and we get to build with those things, Paul says. And so he's saying, you know, how you live matters. There's only one foundation that will stand, and that is Christ. But what you do as you stand upon Christ in this life matters because it's not all the same. And so the question gold and silver and precious stones, that's a good question. That's a question we should ask ourselves, and not just ask ourselves, but ask the Lord prayerfully. We should seek the Lord as we think about the way we live, and we should ask him, Lord, what am I doing, and, and reveal to me, you know, by your word and, and the, the, um, the conviction of your spirit, am I building in a way that is honoring to you? And so a good question for us to ask at this point in this text is, what are you cultivating as you seek the Lord? As you think about your life as a Christian, what are you doing in the name of Jesus? Where do you feel like you are putting your time um, in, in growing yourself as a disciple and serving the church in doing things that, that honor the Lord? And then how are those things helping you grow in righteousness and humility? We're going to come back to those two things, righteousness and humility, in a moment and see how significant they are. But, but for the moment, let's sit on this question and recognize that we have to ask the Lord this question about all sorts of things in our lives. You know, we should ask the Lord how we are seeking him in our political engagement. Are we doing that in a way that grows us in righteousness and humility? Are we seeking the Lord in our consumption of entertainment? Or those things, you know, a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble that are pulling us away from him? Are we seeking the Lord in our parenting, our marriages, our friendships, our hopes and our dreams, our careers, our aspirations, our life as students? This question should shape the way we're doing everything. And we should ask the Lord. And sometimes, though, we're very scared to ask the Lord about these very tangible things in our lives because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. And we don't want to admit that we're wrong because we're afraid that if we're wrong, then we've just wasted all this opportunity. And it's too late to turn back. It's too late to change. And yet, that's not what Zephaniah was telling Judah. You know, they were in this perilous place, and he says, you still have time. It's not too late. Turn back. And Paul's use of similar imagery says to us as well, if, you, if the Lord convicts you and you recognize you've been wasting time, or you've been chasing after, you know, little structures of wood, hay, and stubble that are distractions, you know, it's not too late to turn from that and to build on the foundation of Christ with the means he gives you. And often a sign that we're building with wood, hay, and stubble in our lives is when we're trying to cover something up or compensate for something from our sin, compensate for something we've done in the past. When you're building in that way, you're actually not really building on the foundation of Christ. You're trying to build on your own efforts. You're trying to construct something on your own to hide your failure instead of recognizing, no, Christ has, has atoned for that. He's brought you out of it, and you can build on him. And so we, we should not just gloss over the urgency that Zephaniah speaks to Judah because that same urgency applies to us. In Christ, our sin is still deadly in this life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And amen that that is true. But our sin can still hurt real bad in this life. And so we do well to not be found that we might experience wholeness and, and growth in righteousness and humility in him. 
And so that's the call as we turn now to verse three in Zephaniah two. That is the call that God gave to Judah through Zephaniah. It was the call to turn back and seek the Lord. Now, if you remember from last week in chapter one, verse six, the Lord condemned the people of Judah most particularly because they'd stopped seeking him. They were seeking all the other gods under the sun, but they'd stopped seeking him. And so the fact that this is where Zephaniah turns, and he says, you know, don't, you know, he doesn't say you need to sacrifice, you know, a thousand bulls and goats in, in the temple. No, he says, seek the Lord. This is the heart of the matter. And so he tells them to seek the Lord. And notice, it's interesting too, he addresses all the humble of the land. He's addressing not the religious leaders, not the political leaders of Judah who had been condemned in chapter one for leading the entire nation astray, but he's talking to the humble of the land. In scripture, the humble of the land, it's not just that God takes the side of the underdog all the time, but the humble in the land are those who, regardless of their earthly status, are dependent upon the Lord. They are those who seek the Lord in all things. And so Zephaniah addresses them, and he says, you are the humble of the land, and so listen, continue to seek the Lord. These are the people that Jesus describes in the Beatitudes as the meek of the earth, the poor in spirit, those who know that God is God, and they are not, and so they seek him and his strength. And that is the heartbeat of their life. Notice as well that they're the ones who do God's just commands. Seeking the Lord is changing them. It shapes them. Their theology shapes the way they live. It's not just a slogan for them. It's their way of life. Yet if you think about it, it's very interesting then that if Zephaniah is singling out the humble of the land, it's interesting that then he tells them, seek the Lord and seek humility and seek righteousness. Because if they're the humble of the land and they're doing God's just decrees, you could think, well, aren't they already seeking righteousness? Aren't they already seeking humility? Why would Zephaniah tell them to do these things if they're already doing it? And he's doing that because God knows that when he comes in judgment on the nation of Judah, the humble in the land, if they were seeking the Lord truly, it'd be very tempting for them to grow bitter and to get angry and to blame those who persisted in the rebellion for everything that happens around them. And if they turned, if they got bitter, then they would no longer be humble. The humble would no longer be humble, they'd become proud. They'd say, well, this isn't my fault, you know, it's their fault out there. And they would no longer be seeking righteousness. You know, they would just seek to do whatever they can to preserve their safety and security in their own efforts. And ultimately, what would happen is they would no longer be seeking the Lord. They'd get distracted. And they would turn from him in bitterness and cynicism and despair and so the Lord has Zephaniah remind them. He says, don't stop seeking the Lord. This is not something you do once in your life. This is the heartbeat of your life. It is, it is like breathing. This needs to define you and sustain you. That seeking the Lord has banks of the river. You know, if we're not, notice, if you're not seeking righteousness and you're not seeking humility, you may be saying to yourself or saying to others that you're seeking the Lord, but, but God's word here shows us that no, seeking the Lord involves seeking righteousness and humility. If we're not growing in those things, then we are not seeking the Lord. We need to wake up to that, and we must repent and then turn and seek the Lord and grow in those things. Truly seeking the Lord in Christ alone, seeking his face, drawing near to the God who is drawn near to us by his Son and his Spirit, that changes us. It makes us more like him in righteousness and in humility. As we seek righteousness, what that looks like is knowing that Christ's righteousness has been put upon us because of his atoning work on our behalf, it looks like then in our life, in this time, through sanctification, we grow in Christ's likeness in our character. We grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We grow in him in the way we live, in the things we do. 
And growing in humility, that looks like becoming more like Jesus in our tone and our posture. The way we do things changes as well. It's not just the what, but also the how and the way and the why as we live as Christ's disciples. And this beautiful reality, that's what we get to enjoy in this life. This is actually the gold and the silver and the precious stones that Paul is talking about. You know, when we think of, you know, fancy building materials, we think of, you know, the new building across the street, not this one. You know, we think of flashy things. We think of your resume. You think of that job that you hope to get down the road. You don't think of the everyday way that the Lord is using your parenting and your washing dishes and you going to your job and being faithful there to grow you in righteousness and humility. But that is where this happens. That is where it happens. You grow because you're united to Christ and you become more like him in very ordinary ways over time. And so that's a beautiful thing for us as we think about, you know, again, as you return to that question, what are you cultivating as you seek the Lord and then how is it helping you grow in righteousness and humility? Sometimes the most impressive things in your life are not where that happens, but it's in those very ordinary, very everyday things that you do over and over, changing diapers, washing dishes, teaching your kids, helping them with homework, students doing your homework, talking to a friend. Those are places that often you can seek the Lord and become more like Christ as you grow in the fruit of the Spirit in righteousness and humility. And that applies to everything ranging from politics to parenting. But there's good news here because that is the place where we get to grow and we get to build things that last for eternity on the foundation of Christ. Now it's interesting, as you look back then at the last half of verse three here, there's, there's an interesting word. It starts out and it says, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. And that word is unsettling, isn't it? Because again, it's a reminder that God is sovereign and Judah and we are not. This reminds us that their repentance was not a reset button. It wasn't a commodity where if they, you know, stored up enough like a genie in the bottle. Now we know from from, uh, the poorest 5 verse 12 that when Babylon comes under God's sovereignty, they will leave the poorest in the land behind. And so there will be some of the, of the poor, of the humble of the land, who will be hidden on that day. But even then, you know, they're, they're hidden in a land that was laid waste by the Babylonians. And so this word, perhaps, this again is another reminder for us to recognize what's going on in our repentance. Your repentance isn't an eraser that takes away your sin. Your repentance is you turning and seeking the Lord. What takes away your sin is the Lord Jesus Christ who bore it on his body and shed his blood to give you life in him on the cross. So our repentance is not a reset button. And that's important to recognize because when we repent, part of bearing fruit and keeping with repentance means we don't come to the Lord and, and, and argue for a non-disclosure agreement. We don't get to say to God, hey, I've sinned here and I'll repent and I'll tell you about it, but you've got to stop this, this, and this from happening can't do that. Because if you do that, think about what happens when you have a leak in your house. You know, I had, we had a leak in our apartment a couple weeks ago, and uh, we had, um, it, was, it wasn't even a big leak, but they had to rip up the floor, rip up baseboards, and run fans for like a week. And all of it was just to make sure that mold wouldn't grow. And oftentimes, our sin is very much like that. If you try to come to the Lord, and you think your repentance is, you know, you're getting out ahead of the Lord, and I repented of it, so now, you know, all these things can't happen, you can't expose this, you can't look at this part of my life, Lord. You are asking for your your heart to rot in sin and misery because you're not bringing these things into the light. You're not receiving the grace and goodness of the Lord to you in Christ where you most need it. And so this word perhaps is unsettling, but it's meant to unsettle our grip on our our own efforts at self-salvation. 
and it's meant to, to help us receive the embrace of God's grace to us in Christ. And so like the people of Judah, it is much more important that we come and recognize that again, there is no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. And what that means is not that you don't have to bother about dealing with your sin in this life. No, that means you're set free to actually be healed and grown in this life. You don't have to hide it any longer. You don't have to try to build little you know, shacks out of sticks to hide it on your own efforts. No, you can come and stand in the light of Jesus and be healed and, and, and have the opportunity to build something on him that will last, that is good. And so as we consider all of this, we must therefore remember God's character. Anytime we read a warning and a call to seek the Lord in Scripture, we should always remember the character of the God who calls us. Because for some of us, we hear these warnings and they scare us. And they, and they, they shake our assurance. Because what happens is we forget that our God is a God who is holy and just and who abounds in steadfast love and mercy and grace for those who seek him in Christ. And so when we hear these hard words in Scripture and these invitations to seek God, it's important to remember who he is. He takes up Zephaniah's language, the language of humility, and he applies it to his own heart in Matthew 11. Listen to how Old Testament commentator O. Palmer Robertson points out the connection between Zephaniah 2 and Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Robertson says this, only the grace of meekness gives adequate recognition to the reality of God. How striking to find this same underscoring of meekness or humility in himself, even as Jesus claims for himself a knowledge restricted only to deity. No one could know the Father except the Son, yet because of his humility, even in his greatness, all may learn from him that he is meek and lowly in heart, and so find rest for their souls. Therefore, seek meekness as you contemplate the nature of God and his Son. Only in such a manner will rest for the soul be found." So Jesus calls us to seek him. Why? Because he is gentle and lowly or humble in heart. Because he seeks us. The Father sent the Son to seek all whom he has called to himself and to bring us out of darkness, to seek every single lost sheep and to bring them all the way home. And so when we hear these words, seek the Lord, remember you get to seek the Lord because he is seeking you. And he has sought you in Christ and so there's good news. This invitation to come out of the darkness ought to stir us up with great joy and delight that our God cares for us this much. He cares for you way too much to wink at your sin and to let you linger in darkness and shadow. He bids you come out. Come out of hiding from the things you've stuffed down for the week, for years, for decades. Come out and know him and know the rest and the refuge that you can have in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, through faith alone. And so as we, as we conclude, there's no better way to, to conclude this sermon than to hear those words of Jesus himself. So this will be in Matthew 11. You can turn there if you want, but, but listen to this and hear the words of our Lord and Savior who, yes, is gentle and humble in heart. And then may these words build you up and encourage you as you seek the Lord with humility and righteousness in Christ alone. So this is Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, 
and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my history, would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we give you thanks that in Christ, our life is now hidden, as Paul reminds us in Colossians 3. Oh Lord, would you help us to remember that reality? Lord, I pray first though, if there's any, Lord, here this morning who does not yet know you, who has not come out of darkness, who has not sought you in Christ yet, Lord, would you stir them up and draw them to yourself? Oh Lord, give them the, the rest and the refuge that they can have in Jesus, that they may know you, Lord, that they may turn from their sin and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those of us who, who have turned and who do know you, who believe in Christ, Lord, sustain us and renew us in our love and our affection and in our assurance in Christ. Lord, show us where we've been playing around with, with wood and, and hay and stubble and, and building things uh, that will not last. Um, and, and, and help us, Lord, to turn from that, to have the humility to turn and to instead build with, with the things you supply, with your means of grace, with your word, with prayer, with the sacraments, and to, to build in fellowship with each other on Christ and, and Lord, to be grown, to be more like him in righteousness and humility. Lord, I praise you and give you thanks that though we are not in control, you are, and therefore you warn us that yes, we are not in control of time, and yet you give us this day to seek you while you may be found. So build us up and encourage us in that, O oh Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.